So you know that spark of hope we usually feel at Christmas time? Well, it's not just a warm feeling from too much eggnog, and it's not from expert marketing or the excitement for presents, or from nostalgia of selective childhood memories. No, it's a glimpse of something real. It's a beacon to a real hope for our lives now. And whoever you are and wherever you're from, you can experience this hope today, right now. So let's talk about it together. There's something wrong. There's something broken in the world. You know it, and I know it. The loss, the pain, the hurt, the division. We hate it. We hate it with every fiber of our being because we know it's wrong. It's not what the world is supposed to be like. But what can we actually do about it? See, Christmas is usually a time of year where we catch a glimpse of something else than this hopelessness. It's where we get a sense that things could possibly get better that something can be fixed. It's where we get a taste of real hope. See, Christmas offers us a chance to hope again. It's a hope that began a very, very long time ago, around the year 2000 BC, in one of the darkest, most dangerous, most hopeless eras of human history. It was a world lit only by fire, the Bronze Age in the Middle East. And God spoke to a man named Abram. We know him as Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now this blessing to all families on earth is God's plan to bring humanity back to himself to restore our true humanity, to give us a way to live in the love and peace of God, of knowing him and being known by him. And he is going to do it, he promises Abraham, through Abraham, through his family that would come to him, the people of Israel. And Abraham dared to hope, to confidently trust that God would keep his promise. See, hope is confidently trusting that God keeps his promises. And then a little over a thousand years later, God's people are living in safety in their own country. It's, it's a nation descended from one man, Abraham. In fact, it's, it's the sign, it's a beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he would have a great nation of descendants. And then God makes the king of these people, David, another promise. It's a continuation of God's first promise to Abraham to bless the whole world through his descendants. Furthermore, declares the Lord, that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. And David chose to hope. He chose to trust that God would keep his promise. And then, 250 years later, around 700 BC, Israel's leaders and Israel's people had all but forgotten about God and his promises to Abraham. So God uses the prophet Isaiah to remind them that he hasn't forgotten his promise to restore them, his promise to bring a king to lead them back to himself. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled 
But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. He says the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And you think about darkness in the ancient world, just how dark it was, right? On a moonless night, there's no light outside, no street lights, no nothing. There's no light inside the house unless you light a candle or, or a lamp. And so a time of darkness was a time of fear, of raids by neighboring villages to take your supplies, of, of marauders or thieves looking to see what they can steal, of, of wild animals sniffing around. And so you would bar your doors and your windows, and you'd always have some kind of weapon close by because you're afraid of what the darkness can bring. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. God's saying something more powerful than the overwhelming darkness that they experience every night is coming. Something that these people had never experienced. They never experienced the brilliance of light chasing away the darkness. He's talking about a hope that the darkness wouldn't always be there, wouldn't always overcome light, but that light would overcome darkness. And he goes on. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will, re will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Someone, God says, is coming who will turn the usual world order on its head. And he would end all oppression. And he would lift the people's burdens. And he would be a prince of peace. And somehow this king would also be mighty God and everlasting father who would end the ages of darkness and bring everlasting light. And a hundred years after Isaiah, around 600 BC, God describes what he will do through this new king. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new promise, with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. God is going to bring, he promises, a new relationship. A relationship not based on whether or not the nation of Israel followed the rules of God and not based on social rank or, or religious merit, but a relationship based on God's love and mercy. A relationship where God takes the first step. A relationship that begins with a single choice to trust, like Abraham's choice. A relationship that no one, not even them, can break. See, God promises everyone an individual and personal relationship of love. And then 50 years later after that, a man named Daniel sees a vision of this promised king. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. 
so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And the people of Israel knew that God had promised, what God had promised them. And they passed it on to their children and their children's children through generations for hundreds of years. And some of them continued to hope, while some gave up. Then, about 2,000 years after the first promise was given to Abraham, just when things seemed to be the darkest, when the rich and the powerful kept the poor and the powerless under their metal-spiked sandals, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says, how is this possible? Right? I'm not married. How, do I, how am I going to have a kid? And the angel says, don't worry. God will do it. And in response, Mary says, I am God's servant. May it come true what he says about me. And so she goes and sees her relative Elizabeth. And when she gets there, she sings a song that we've been looking at for the last two episodes. And today we are talking about the end of Mary's song, how she wraps up her entire song. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And Mary says, all these things will happen because God has kept his promise. The promise he gave to Abraham 2,000 years before that. That now the king is here. Hope has been realized. And Mary knows her son is the culmination of everything God has promised. See, all of God's promises are fulfilled in and through Jesus. Now, Jesus knew he was the fulfillment of these promises too. In fact, the main point of his ministry was proclaiming that the kingdom of God had finally come as promised through him. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The good news that God has fulfilled his promise. His kingdom is here. But this kingdom was not what people expected. It wasn't a political kingdom. It wasn't a military kingdom. It was, and it still is, a spiritual kingdom and a revolution that changes hearts and lives from the inside out. In this kingdom, God rescues his children from sin and evil and brings them back to himself. In fact, Jesus made it even clearer one day. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. 
The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And then Jesus showed us the true nature of this revolutionary kingdom through his teachings and through his life. And then in ultimate victory, he gave himself to die as our ransom, to free us from the chains of sin and evil and death and darkness. And then he rose again from the dead to defeat sin and death forever, giving eternal life to all who trust him as their king, as the fulfillment of God's promise. See, Jesus's resurrection proved he is more powerful than the worst the world has to offer. Jesus's kingdom is the kingdom of hope. As Jesus' best friend, John, said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. It's a kingdom of life where everyone is welcomed, where everyone is invited, and where no one is rejected. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. It's a kingdom where everyone is invited to experience true peace and rest and mercy. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. It's a kingdom of light. The darkness of fear is vanquished, like the rising of the sun in the morning. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. See, in this revolutionary kingdom, the darkness of sin and hate and prejudice is removed. And we begin to see others as they truly are, beloved children created in the image of God. It's a kingdom where enemies can be loved because we, they are just as worthy of forgiveness as we are. And we can love because God, through Jesus, loved us first. It's a kingdom where no matter how dark and broken things seem to get, we can hope because we know that we are seen, we are known, we are loved, and we are accepted by the light of life. This kingdom can't be conquered because it lives inside its citizens. It can't be stopped because it's based on God's unending, all-powerful mercy and love. The Christmas story isn't just a story about a sweet little baby. It's the culmination of God's promise to rescue all of humanity. It's the proof that God can be trusted and that we can truly hope in him. God has kept his promise. God himself has come to earth and invaded the darkness with his light and his hope. And he has done what we never could do, conquered the power of sin and death. And now he offers all of us life. 
and a real personal relationship with the real God and a role in his kingdom to fix what is wrong. One person, one relationship, one conversation, one act of mercy and love at a time. The Christmas story is the true story of hope. The Christmas story can be your story of hope. If you want it to be your story of hope, all you have to do is tell God. Tell him, say thank you for keeping your promises. I choose to trust and hope in you. Teach me to love with your love. This world can be a very dark place. It can seem hopelessly broken. And it's easy to assign this idea of hope to a, a wispy, intangible feeling at Christmas. But Christmas is proof that this darkness won't always be here. Jesus' kingdom is here now, on the move, transforming everything one heart at a time. And just as he promised so many years ago, the light has risen. We don't have to continue trying to find our way in the dark. We can come to the light and we can confidently hope again because Christmas is proof that God keeps his promises. Thank you for watching this video put out by Cross Creek Community Church. This is our last video of 2022. So we just wanna thank you for uh, supporting us over the year, whether it's YouTube, podcast, uh, or in person. We do have our final in-person service this weekend, December 18th, and it's going to be a special Christmas service. There's going to be stuff for kids, um, special songs we'll sing together, a Christmas message, and I don't think you'll want to miss it. If you live in Salem, 4.30 on Sunday, December 18th, we look forward to seeing you in person. We're wrapping up our A Home for the Holidays fundraiser for Church of the Park with Liberty Community Church. Uh, we have met our goal. We're very excited about this, but at this point, we're just trying to you now maybe raise money for a second micro shelter. So if you haven't given to that yet, uh, this is a great time to do it. It's the end of the year. I also want to just remind you of the fact that you can do some year-end giving for Cross Creek Community Church. It's also on our donate page. Uh, we appreciate all of your support over the year, uh, both financially, but also just being who you are and being for Salem. So thank you. We'll see you in January uh, as we start a new series. It's going to come out the weekend of January 7th. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be on the Holy Spirit. We're very excited about what's coming together for that. So we'll see you soon. Happy Christmas, Merry New Year, and we'll see you soon.